Welcome to Hostel Homies, a podcast focused on the best parts of backpacker culture. I'm your host, Joe Glasgow. Each week I sit down with a new guest, ranging from the people I meet while I'm abroad to professionals who work in the travel industry. Listen along as they share hilarious and inspiring travel stories, unparalleled recommendations on where to go, and tips for seeing the world on a budget. For Hostel Homies, it's all about the journey, the destination, and the people you meet along the way. Hello, Hostel Homies. This episode is sponsored by Hammock. Hammock is the social media platform for hostels, connecting you with other travelers nearby. Download now on the App Store or Google Play and join the network today. Today's guest is Sasha Korbut. Sasha is a Russian dancer who has spent the last two decades working for the top dance companies in Russia, South Korea, Spain, China, and the United States. On top of being a successful dancer, he's also had a multifaceted career in acting, modeling, writing, directing, etc. Most importantly, Sasha's a great guy who's seen a lot of the world. Him and I haven't seen each other for over a year, and I'm excited to catch up with him. So, do you mind just telling me, because I don't know this, how you got from Eastern Russia to living in New York City? Yeah, uh, long story short. Mm -hmm. um, I lived in Russia Mm -hmm. until I was 18 years old. I've never been abroad, ever. I was thinking, why do I need to go abroad? I have everything in Russia. Mm -hmm. What's the point? And my mom once she said, listen, you have to see the world. And she bought me a ticket to Hong Kong and Beijing. It was a with a tourist guide mm-hmm. um, travel arrangement. And so I was 18 years old, and I went to Hong Kong, Beijing, Shenzhen um, to see the other things in the world. And I came back two weeks later, and like, oh my God, Mama, there's so much going on in the world. <laughs> like, why am I still here? Yeah. <laughs> why am I in Russia still? <laughs> And uh, two weeks later, I left again. I found this small dance contract Mm -hmm. uh, again in China. I said, Mom, you know, I'm going to find money. I'm going to travel to China. I'm going to dance there for the parade. I want to travel. So I think that uh, contagious pill that I took, the the pill of traveling, Mm -hmm. it it happened to me when I was 18. And then the whole journey started. I lived half a year in Korea. Then... A year in Canary Islands in Spain I, I come to the embassy to get my visa and like oh so do you know where you're gonna stay in New York I'm like no no I'm going to Chicago <laughs> like no dude you're going to New York oh. you found out when you got to the airport yeah no, to the embassy to get oh, my okay, visa gotcha, gotcha. like okay well let me rearrange everything <laughs> <laughs> and yeah I got tickets and I came to New York and um, six years later it became my hometown no kidding no you, you had never been to the U.S. before this, correct? Actually, I was. I forgot to mention. 2007, first time ever going to, to the United States. Mm-hmm. So in Russia, we have this program called Work and Travel. Okay. Uh, you can travel uh, while you're at the university. You can travel for one or two months uh, to the United States and work in a service industry. In McDonald's, McDonald's Baskin Robbins, <laughs> you name it. Um, so I was, fall- I was in love with a girl. And one day she comes to me and she says, oh, Sasha, you know, I applied to this work and travel program. 
I'm going to US. I'm like, oh my God, I'm going with you. <laughs> You're like, that's crazy. I am too. Yeah. I said, you know, I'm, go- I'm going. If you go going, I'm going. Yeah. Like, take me anywhere. <laughs> so I applied because I was in love with this girl. Mm-hmm. Eventually, she became my best friend and I became gay. So it worked out. Sure, totally. sure. That worked out perfectly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she lives in the US right now too. Um, and we went together. It was my first time. I went to Cape Canaveral in Florida. I spoke zero English, but I pretended like I speak perfect English. <laughs> and I remember when I flew, this is one of my favorite stories. Um, I remember I flew to Cape Canaveral. I walk out in Orlando in Florida. So I don't know English. It's 11 p.m. at night. Uh, no cell phones back that time, 2007. Mm-hmm. I have the address of a McDonald's I supposed to work <laughs> next week. Mm-hmm. And I have Ina's address. And that's it. That's all information I have. And we tried to call Ina. She never picked up the phone. She was already in the States. She came two weeks before me. <laughs> so I'm going to take a taxi. And there's this beautiful African-American man sitting. He was a driver in... Um, you know, it, it was an American English, not the one that I studied at school. Right. And he starts talking to me, and it sounds to me like Chinese. I don't understand anything. <laughs> and I don't know where to go. So I give him an address of the McDonald's, a place where I have to go, in Cape Canaveral. So if you know, Cape Canaveral is a, probably an hour away from Orlando, mm-hmm. from, from, from the airport. And we're driving there, so it's like after midnight, a man is driving me to a place, I don't know where to go, to a first McDonald's. <laughs> now I'm thinking how scary he was. <laughs> <laughs> Who is this man who's not speaking English? <laughs> yeah, like, where is he going? Why, he's going to McDonald's yeah. in Cape Canaveral. Can you just stop by KPC five minutes away from the airport and yeah. have your chicken McNuggets? Is he just hungry? Yeah. <laughs> he just has a cryptic address for a late night McDonald's ride. And he's like, oh my God, this is my first time in America. First attraction. Let me go to McDonald's. <laughs> Actually, when I was a kid, a McDonald's was a big thing. It was um, it was only in Moscow, so we traveled nine hours from Vladivostok, my hometown, mm-hmm. by by plane to Moscow. And my first attraction was to go to McDonald's and ask for Happy Meal because you were getting this free toy. So m- me and McDonald's had a relationship before. I you had a connection with had McDonald's. Connection. Yeah, sure. So we arrived to this McDonald's, and I'm like, "Hi, help me." <laughs> 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 That's all what I can say. <laughs> like I'm lost. I'm looking for Ina. <laughs> Do you know Ina? You know what though? Whoever works the midnight shift at McDonald's has seen weirder stuff. <laughs> probably they did. They're probably used to that. They used to like a random Russian walking out, walking in and saying hi, help me. Saying hi, help me. And they're like, welcome to America. <laughs> Thanks God they knew who Ina was. It was the right McDonald's. She had already been working there, correct? She was already working there. So they sent me to her house. I said, can you talk to this driver and send me home? <laughs> like basically to Ina. And I arrive. It's already 2 a.m. I walk out. I pay $80 for a taxi cab. It was the most expensive trip on a taxi I've ever taken in my life. Oh, no. And I'm walking out and I knock the door and nobody responds. And no, nobody was there, and I'm like, oh my god, I'm totally lost. But the biggest problem, I wanted to pee so badly, and I didn't know if it's allowed in the United States to pee on the street. So I was withholding it as much as I could. So later, I found a sign that says, welcome to Sunshine Inn, and it was lighted. And 
be, there was nobody behind the sign. So I went behind the sign and I peed. <laughs> My friend later told me, you probably marked the territory, you know? <laughs> so yeah, that was my first arrival to, to America. It was very memorable. I oh still, my gosh. The, the memories are still very vivid. No kidding. And how, how long was that flight too? Because you must have just been exhausted by the time you got there, right? It was crazy. Moscow to, uh, from Vladivostok to Moscow, imagine it's a nine hours flight. Mm -hmm. Then you go from Moscow to New York, New York, Atlanta, Atlanta, Orlando. And you're flying and imagine you don't speak English. You don't know who to... People are trying to talk to you in a plane. They're so excited that you're a dancer and you're flying mm -hmm. to the United States. And they answer you something and saying words like, fabulous, awesome. And like, yeah. You're just nodding like, maybe. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> I hope you're saying good things about me, yeah. my friend. <laughs> Yeah, later I learned English. That helped me. <laughs> um, you have to also understand, it was 2007. Um, I was a kid who never been abroad besides China, right? Mm -hmm. And to me, the most obvious things that we use on a daily uh, basis and take for granted were the most fascinating. Mm -hmm. I got my first credit card or my debit card and I could not imagine you can just swipe the card and they give you coffee for that. <laughs> this was just huge to you. You just need to swipe the card. <laughs> and, uh, and then I worked in Baskin Robbins and I was so poor and so hungry and I could eat ice cream for free. It was amazing, it was the, uh, the dream job. You're like, America is heaven. I'll yeah, get America free ice cream, heaven. I can just swipe stuff for coffee. Swipe stuff for coffee. <laughs> so it's interesting, now I'm, I'm thinking about it, how um, the th I'm still trying not to take those things for granted. And I'm very, um, with curiosity, observe people at Starbucks when they freak out when the transaction hasn't been made within five seconds. I'm mm. like, oh, I have to t wait for my cappuccino forever. <laughs> you know? You're like, you, this is black magic that's going on in front of us. You should appreciate that. Yes, please do. <laughs> so it's been, it's been an eye-opening. Yeah. I want to talk about your experience with Spain specifically mm -hmm. because you seem to have a, a place in your heart for Spain. Very big. I think it's a couple of things. Um, so I'm Russian. Mm -hmm. I was born in Soviet Union. I was raised in Russia. And uh, it's a culture that is based on community. Mm -hmm. Everybody is trying to support each other or at least the majority. You share things when you when when you have and somebody doesn't. You share them. You become communal, and I think I found that spirit in Spain. It's about parties. It's about being together. It's about drinking. There is no time limits, um, which was very uh, different in the United States. I was coming like, okay, so we have a party from twelve to one. So we better get drunk and enjoy this little time because we have to wake up at 6 a.m. and go to our office from 9 to 5. Like scheduled partying, basically. Yeah, even you, even the dates, you mm -hmm. know? Uh, maybe from your experience, you know, you're going on a date with someone and it's at 6 o'clock. Mm -hmm. You're like, okay, so I have my Tinder date from 6 to 7.15 <laughs> and then I can uh, drink a beer and watch Game of Thrones with my buddies. You know, I hope the love magic and chemistry will happen between 6 p.m. and 7.15 p.m. You're like, can you so, hurry up this whole connection <laughs> thing? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, we'll definitely learn how to hurry. Um, and in Spain, it was it was exactly the same as in Russia. People were gathering at eight o'clock, mm -hmm. and they were staying until two a.m. And then they were going to another bar, 
it was all about conversation. It wasn't about what you do. Mm -hmm. It's about who you are. And it's about what you like. And it's a dramatic difference um, with the American culture in some parts, in, such as New York or Los Angeles, mm -hmm. uh, the ones that I know. Um, so it felt, it felt, I felt connected to this part. I felt that uh, we are all bonded together. We're all trying to find something. Yeah, yeah it is still big, um, has a big place in my heart. I think language as well. You can so well express, express yourself through the language. With it's, European Spanish. Yeah, and uh, it wasn't easy mm -hmm. because I came to Spain with, without knowing a language. And I, luckily, I met a guy, he became my boyfriend. I was at school, I studied at the university, I did my master's degree, and then I studied at the, at the Academy of Contemporary Dance. So 24-7, it was all Spanish, mm -hmm. to the point that six months later, I had a sort of a breakdown, I could not speak Spanish anymore. I was vomiting the Spanish language. And I remember that night I came home, and Carlos, my my boyfriend back at the same time, like, Hola, Sasha, ¿qué tal? ¿Cómo está? ¿Qué fue tu día? And I'm like, in, I'm saying in English, Carlos, one more word in Spanish. We're not just breaking up. You better not call me. <laughs> and Carlos doesn't speak English, neither Russian. He speaks French, Italian, Portuguese. In Spanish and I said you know what you can tell me everything you want in French even if I don't understand but no Spanish in the house tonight <laughs> he didn't even understand you but he could tell the tone in your voice was, was angry oh my god yeah it was it was hard you know you're living in the other country you're learning different language and mm -hmm. everybody speaks the language and at some point you just you cannot handle it anymore mm -hmm. but then the break happens and you feel like you belong to this language when you say break is that kind of like a tipping point of you can now finally speak this language at the skill you want to be speaking it at. I think it's both. It's this com component and the, the other one you surrender. Mm -hmm. Imagine I'm you are not a flexible person and I'm trying to put <laughs> you in a split. Mm -hmm. And what I'm doing for six months, you're not standing up from this, from this damn split. All you can go is down. <laughs> and there is a guy behind, or like the whole society, staying and pressing your hips down to the floor. So you have two choices. You can freak out about it and squeeze your muscles and it's going to be even more hurting. Mm -hmm. Or you can really surrender and slowly you start to fall down and your hips eventually are going to be on the floor. And you're like, finally I made it. I think it's a, it's a very similar sensation. Mm -hmm. You can fight it and resist and it's going to be painful. You surrender and allow the nature to take you wherever you have to go. I don't know why split came to my mind. <laughs> no, no, I like that metaphor. <laughs> Maybe dance background, but like it made total metaphor. sense to me. And uh, yeah, it was so many words. It was a, such a big struggle. Imagine uh, you, your Russian, Russian is your native language, mm -hmm. and then you learn Spanish, and Spanish becomes your second language. So the system is, uh, somebody tells you in, in Spanish, and you tr translate it into Russian, and you get the, the, the message received, and then you can answer. Mm -hmm. Then English comes as a third language. So what happened to me when I moved to the United States, I was still thinking in Spanish, and people were talking in English. In my head was, I was receiving message in English, translating it into Spanish, then to Russian, and then deliver. Oh it was gosh. the mental masturbation with no orgasm. <laughs> no, it was kidding. so bad. It's like a... Just exhausting, I It's bet. so exhausting. Yeah. Eventually, they sort of substituted each other. Mm -hmm. But it was really hard. 
And the funniest part was that when I was, I lived in Queens, Spanish-speaking community, mm-hmm. I was coming there and I was talking to them in Spanish my first four months. Mm-hmm. And they answered me in English and I'm like, dude, I don't speak English. Well, like, you look like gringo. I'm not going to talk to you in Spanish. Like, well, I'm not even American. I'm sorry. I'm like, your, this is I'm, way more confusing. Yeah, I'm almost your tribe. Come on, treat me equally. As far as speaking language, because you said that you're able to really express yourself a lot in Spanish and you knowing these three languages well now, I want to bring it back to your dancing because dancing, when you go to these classes and you're, you're a part of this program, it's already hard enough to keep up. I, I have friends who are dancers and you know the instructors seem to be very strict and they get very angry if you don't get it down. I can imagine it was very frustrating when you didn't know what the instructor was saying. It was even worse than Spain. Uh, in Spain they speak Castilian, in Valencia they speak Valenciano. Mm-hmm. And I joined the company uh, with all Valencian cast. So while it was a musical and while we were rehearsing, they would pause and give all the instructions in Valencian, <laughs> which is a mix sort of, of uh, French, Spanish. And then, the, and then the choreographer would look at me and like, why you don't do the, the, what I just said? And I'm like, dude, I don't speak <laughs> Valencian. I barely speak Spanish. What do you want from me? <laughs> And they were forgetting that I don't speak Valencian and mm-hmm. they were given all these instructions. So sure. like, okay, everybody got it, let's go. <laughs> you know, five, four, three, two. <laughs> you and know? you're just like, no. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, can we switch to something else? Yeah, let's do, let's do something different. Do you think because you can understand all of these three languages that you're easier to teach now as, as a dancer? Because you can understand all these different specific descriptions of how to dance and how to move. I think it is and I think it's not. I think it is because of course you know language, you know languages you can get it faster. But what's unique and beautiful about dance world, it's not about uh, verbal communication. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not about expressing yourself um, verbally. It's about feeling and seeing and mimicking. When you learn choreography, most of the time you do not um, write it down on a piece of paper. You just watch and you mimic someone. It's like a monkey game. Mm-hmm. You're trying to mimic it. So I think it's a little safer in a dance world because you may not know the language. You can just repeat. And if you don't understand, the teacher will come to you and he will adjust your physical body. So he'll create, create a physical connection to you. I see. That's why it says, shut up and dance with me. We don't need a net language. <laughs> it's easier just yeah. to do it in the, in the physical sense. Yeah, words can lie, hips don't lie. I love it. <laughs> I love it. So as far as Spain goes, was there anyone there besides uh, Carlos, who was your boyfriend at the time, that you met uh, that's really inspired you or influenced your life? There were two people, and it relates so much to a language and the way I learned Spanish. There were two girls at my university that uh, became my dear friends and they were so patient with me one from Venezuela the other one from Mexico Mm -hmm. they became my friends they understood that I don't speak Spanish and they were patient enough to study and be friends with me throughout all the university year or year and a half and teach me Spanish and I believe that I learned more Spanish from them outside on the streets and mm-hmm. with them than I learned at the university. The funniest part is, as I mentioned, Alejandro was Mexicana, mm-hmm. Mexican, and um, Elitze was 
uh, from Venezuela. So I was learning two different Spanish. Oh, they're two different styles. Yeah. Two different styles, two different dialects. Mm -hmm. That has nothing to do with the uh, Castilian Spanish. <laughs> so when I, <laughs> when I was talking, it was a mix of uh, Venezuelan and Mexican Spanish uh, while I lived in Spain. With like a little bit of Spain Spanish. <laughs> with a little yeah. bit of Spain Spanish. It was so, it, it was so nourishing my language because you learn all those cool words. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like you learn English in London and you say, what's up, lad? You know, how do you do? Mm -hmm. And here you say like, hey, sup, dude? <laughs> you know, you, you learn different words and yeah. they were a big inspiration. And I think thanks to them, when I encountered people in America who didn't speak Spanish, I always wanted to give it back. Or who didn't speak English, I always mm -hmm. wanted to give it back and be patient enough with them to explain so many things. I think that's a beautiful thing to bring with you from traveling. Absolutely. Um, traveling is a lot about receiving and it's a normal process. You open up yourself to a new experience. So you open your box and you accumulate those experiences that you get. At some point, I think it's by nature you want to give it back. How do you give it back? Do you write a book? Do you make a video blog? Mm -hmm. Do you teach someone? Do you share your experience on the open reading lessons, you name it. Mm -hmm. I think that's beautiful. Something, that's, something, that's something great to take from traveling. You see, every, every episode I just like, I don't know, I feel like I learned something new. There was, when you were out in Spain, I read an article that you wrote on Medium about it called The Seven Wonders of Spain. You named your car Pepe, your rental car. Was there a specific reason behind it or was it just like a, a fun name that came to mind? Well, my friend and I, uh, we travel a lot together. And every time we name a car, and we're always trying to come up with a traditional name. Mm -hmm. So Jose, it's a Spanish name, which is Pepe, is diminutive. I could never understand how Jose can be a Pepe. Pepe is a diminutive, mm -hmm. like Robert Bob in America, because yeah. everybody says, my name is Sasha, but on a passport is Alexander. And like, how come Alexander and Sasha is the same name? Like, well, guys, you created Robert Bob. Don't talk to me, okay? <laughs> You're like, none of it <laughs> like, makes sense. It doesn't make sense. <laughs> so in, in Spain, Jose is Pepe. And it's a diminutive, supposed to be a word that shortened <laughs> the, the original name. Right. Well, if we actually do the math, Jose, J-O-S-E and Pepe, P-E-P-E, -E. it's the same amount of words. Yeah. Yeah. And it shares only one letter. Yeah, <laughs> it's the promise the is not same. big. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's why we call this, so like, let's come up with something ridiculous. Oh, Pepe sounds good. Nice, good. <laughs> yeah. I love that. Is there a specific place in Spain that you want to, because I, I know you've gone back to visit since you've lived there. Is there a place that you think you're going to continue going back throughout your life to visit? My relationship with Barcelona are not completed. <laughs> I love the city and I'm in love with the city. I love New York, but I always feel like maybe my place is come back to Barcelona. It has an incredible fusion of weather, architecture, art, language, and this international vibe that so many people come there. Basically, all of that we have in New York, mm -hmm. but it's, um, I don't know, there's something different. There's something that calls me back. It's not a specific place, but it's Barcelona whole mm -hmm. as a city, somewhere I want to go back. And 
I think it's the perfect city in the world, but maybe because I've never lived there, you know? Sure. It's like in this joke, don't, uh, don't confuse uh, tourism with immigration. I think that's a good way to look at it, but you're also, you're also bringing up the idea of unfinished business. I think that you can truly enjoy a place and go, all right, I don't need to, I've done everything there. I don't need to go back. But something about you in Barcelona is calling you back. Absolutely, because I call it an unfinished interview. <laughs> I remember I read this amazing Russian psychologist and psychiatrist and, and journalist. He said that all our life is an interview. We're interviewing people. We whether ask questions or answer the questions. We interview books. We interview cities, lovers, you name it. So every encounter with a new place is an interview. Mm -hmm. And you ask yourself to how far you can go or you're interested in going in this interview. That's where the prejudice come from. When you don't want to interview the city, you read just a guidebook, you come, you go to the most uh, familiar places and then the guidebook says, well, this place is trashy. And like, oh, wow, yeah, it is trashy. You don't come to receive new information. You come for the confirmation what was said in the book. You do not interview the place. So you, you take what someone else said in their interview with that place. Exactly. And, and you, you decide that you don't go further with it. That's you don't go further with that. So I believe every encounter with a new place is an interview. How curious I am to live my prejudice, to live my story, my history, to be a completely free and open and uh, starting from zero to learn about the city. Wherever place I go, in order to understand why one or another culture, one or another city live in this lifestyle. Why when you, in Spain, you set up for a date at eight o'clock and your date comes at 9.30, and she thinks it's a little early. <laughs> no. And that's totally normal out there, yeah. And it's totally normal out there, so you're trying to understand the, the nature, the nature of, of this of city or culture, so you're interviewing it. It doesn't mean that you have to accept it or not. It mm -hmm. can be right for you or wrong for you, mm -hmm. but at least you become that curious that you learn. Otherwise, everything you're gonna measure by like, oh, um, based on your experience living in your place. I think that's why so many people have struggled with um, traveling because it comes to non-acceptance of others' cultures right. because of not understanding why, not understanding the history of their culture, not understanding their traditions. Do you think it's important in order to fully embrace other cultures to adapt to them when you're there? And when I say that, I mean when you're in Spain, do you feel like you need to be more lackadaisical and you know less regimented than you are in New York? Or do you think you can be the same type of person everywhere and still understand all these different cultures? I think to remain yourself is an important core. Mm -hmm. I also think you can play it always as a game. You go into a different place and like, okay, this is the game I'm entering and these are the rules of that game. Let me play and understand whether I wanna continue this game or come back someday. If you take it a little less seriously and you allow yourself to immerse into this experience, it's like going to a movie theater. You watch the film, you don't know how it's gonna end, you cannot predict it, you cannot even control. Well, up until recently, there are new things right now coming out, but eventually you're playing a game, you, you, you get into the movie theater, you watch the film, then you can decide eventually whether you like it or not. <laughs> but you stay until the end to know how the game is set. 
Barcelona. For this one, we can bring you. Does it make sense? That makes sense. That's not the way that you're looking at Barcelona, though. Just to make sure, right? Because you. Oh, from Barcelona is a TV show. Barcelona is a yeah episodes. You know? <laughs> I, like I like that because it's not that you're waiting to find out what the end is. You just want to see what the next season no, is. No, I'm, I'm enjoying this TV show. I, I like it. There are going to be more seasons produced. <laughs> <laughs> you know? I think I really like that way of looking at countries. Like that's a movie country. You know, I saw it till the end, or that's a series country. I'm going to keep going back and checking in on it. Absolutely. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, any general travel advice that you can give to people? You've you've been around the world. You've been in the, like eastern parts of Russia, and you've been in Florida, you've been in Spain. What has been a common theme or a common thing that you've done that's helped you out while traveling? In people we trust. Okay. I think I've been very lucky with people. And uh, I don't think uh, it ever happened that I had a bad experience. My biggest advice you can plan all of your trip from A to Z, you know, to the place you're going. It, it mapped at 10 you have breakfast, at 11 you see Georges Pompidou Museum, at, you know, etc. And then what if you throw this plan out or at least modify it and leave the space for the unknown experience and see where it will bring you. Mm -hmm. What if you don't know what the streets to turn on? What if you turn to the left when it says you need to turn to the right? I think I would leave that space, and I try to leave this space as much as possible. Perfect example, my first day arriving to Puerto Rico, I left my stuff and I went to a local coffee shop and I took a coffee. I'm sitting and writing my first words of my diary. I just arrived to Puerto Rico, blah, blah, blah. And the girl see me writing in English like, oh my God, are you a writer? Like, yes, I am. So eight hours later, we are walking around Puerto Rico. She introduces me to her mom. Her mom introduces her to her girlfriend, etc. We are at the party. I could never expect that happened mm -hmm. if I already have planned everything. Right. But since this word, oh my God, are you a writer? <laughs> It started completely different experience. It brought me, we're, we're still in touch with her. Yeah, a lot of the times the things that you would never plan are going to be a lot more important to you in the long run than the things that you would plan about beforehand, right? Yeah, I think traveling is the experience between the planned. You definitely are a writer. <laughs> you keep dropping poetic stuff where I'm just like, normally it's more of a conversation, but you'll just drop something very beautiful. I'm like, ah, that's perfect. <laughs> it's okay, take it. <laughs> Is there a place in the world, and the more specific, the better? It can be a city, it can be a neighborhood, or it can be a random park bench somewhere. A place in the world that you think everyone should go to, whether they love traveling or not. In the world. In the whole world, and the more specific, the better. If, if there's a place that you can, like, you close your eyes and that's your happy place of all the places you've been. Sunset at Park Güell in Barcelona. Uh, it's where they shot Vicky Cristina Barcelona. It's one of the most famous parks and architectures, and the sunset from there with the whole overseal of Barcelona is simply stunning. I've never mm -hmm. seen something like that. It's so beautiful. Yeah, I would just fly to see the sunset. Love that. 
and that's part of your unfinished business you want to go and see more I of would just sunsets. continue watching those sunsets all yeah. the time yeah it's it's really it's really beautiful it's such an unfair question because uh, there are so many great places to see here's my question to you mm-hmm. so imagine you're an, uh, an alien yeah. and um, I come to you or I like imagine you're an uh, I'm an alien you come to me and you're saying Sasha I'm introducing you to planet Earth but unfortunately we have only 10 minutes because <laughs> we have a, a billion of other planets to watch mm-hmm. so let me take you to this place mm-hmm. just to show you so you have an idea of what the the humans and what the planet Earth is mm-hmm. what would be that place so that's a very good question because I think you could show them what Earth is really like. And if I did that, I would choose a big city. I would either choose a New York City or something like a Taipei to where you show that everyone is constantly focused on the wrong thing. Everyone's focused on work. Everyone's focused on themselves. I would rather take them somewhere more laid back, more relaxed, and a little more genuine. Uh-huh. And if I had to pick that, And I know we've been talking about Spain all day, but I, I think you're right with it. I think Valencia. Valencia is probably the top place on my list where I would just show what community looks like, what relaxation looks like, and what life should probably be like. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I will tell you one more thing. I think one of the most astonishing places I've seen in the United States was last year when I traveled to Telluride in Colorado. Mm-hmm. I've never seen more beautiful place in in the whole US and I haven't been to Grand Canyon and other places but the magic of Telluride is unbelievable it's the small city surrounded by huge mountains it has its own vibe that I've never encountered in any other place yeah so I don't know my alien I would still debate with my alien yeah <laughs> but I would not show him I don't know a financial district he would be like <laughs> oh my god human population is so upsetting Press the bottom, yeah. blow the planet, <laughs> let's go next one. Yeah, it's like, which one do you want to show them? Because if you show them the most realistic view, they're just going to blow us up. <laughs> they're just going to be they're tired like, of us. <laughs> But yeah. yeah, if you show them something like a Telluride or a Boulder, Colorado, they're going to go, oh, we could live here. Yeah, we could live there. <laughs> This actually seems delightful. Yeah. I think it's a two-part question. I think mm-hmm. it's what's the most realistic look at how aliens would see humans and what is the way you would want them to see humans. And I think that's probably a similar answer to where you should live. Yes. Perfect. Thank you so much for this conversation. Thanks so much for being on it, Sasha. Thanks yeah. for listening to Hostel Homies.